0: Today, we get wise at the low, low cost of Job's financial, emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors at Gospel Community Church here in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment, and uh, help us out, and uh, welcome, for, welcome to Daily Gospel today. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. I think I think for those who are because a lot of people say they listen on Spotify. That's probably most people. let not listen on Spotify. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, what do they what do they do on Spotify? I guess um, they switch fo- they, they, sh- they switch
0: platforms to YouTube to YouTube, and, and then they like to, yeah just, just a to like, like subscribe, to the, comment, follow. Um,
1: they can also listen to uh, I'm sure they already have, but the Gospel Community Worship. Which is amazing. Oh, it's pretty great. nice. Someone asked me the other day, like, "Oh, what kind of music do you like?" And I'm like, "I just listen to that album on repeat. That's all I do." Yeah. Do you do it's, you remember these? Do you remember those things? Suited, they're round and
0: thin, plasticky. They're called CDs. Do you remember those? Uh, I think so. Is that like a record? It's kind of, but it's a little newer. Anyway, our church actually decided in wisdom to make a bunch of those, mm. and so. By chance, my car still has one of those ancient CD players. And so we just put it in, and every time we get in the car, it's just on.
1: Oh, I have one of those too, actually. CD player in my car. Yeah, so you can
0: take that plastic disc and put it in there, and it actually plays music. Dude, my car is so old
1: that the CD player did not come standard. (laughs) Like, I had to buy the CD player. (laughs) Like, that's how old. 93. That's almost as old as the Book of Job. Oh, yes. Yeah. Do you like that segue? Yeah, that that was a great segue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. This book is... Rich, it is good. This, I mean, this is widely, even by secular um, scholars and you know literary critics, considered one of the, or possibly the greatest work of all time. Oh, so obviously we're going to... Totally put, agree. You know, the whole Bible is the greatest work. The, uh, the all, greatest. The but, greatest. But it, there's just something about this that for how old it is, um, the beauty and the relevance of this text mm-hmm. is amazing. Even if you're not a Christian, you have to see that. But... Really, I mean, you don't get the message of the book unless you understand the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's just going to lead us straight to the work of Christ and the gospel. So, right. I'm, I'm excited to get into this book.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Book of Job. It's one of my personal favorites, so it should be fun getting into it. Um, but we're taking a we're taking a turn here, and yeah. we're we're at in our Bible reading, right? So we're reading the Bible through the years of church, and these videos are to help us out as we read through the entire Bible, entire Old Testament, um, this season. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're
1: getting into a different kind of literature. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, so we've we looked at the first five books of the Bible, which were the called the Pentateuch, yep. all written by Moses. Yep. They lay out. I mean, they're historical books. They start from creation in Genesis, and then they go on to give the law. Um, they're often referred to as Wait, Genesis the law. one and two. Isn't poetry? No, it's it's, you know? it's historical. Oh, yeah, maybe wow. a different video for a different time. We've done we've done some stuff on that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's the history of the world and the establishment of Israel, and it's the um, the law, the law of God. How do you worship Him? How do you approach Him if you're in ancient Israel? <clears throat> which obviously has a lot to show us even today. We looked through mm-hmm. that, and then we got into what what are called the historical books in our Bible, which are everything from Joshua up through Esther. Mm-hmm. Right, that was the last book we we. we read through. So so five books to start, then 12 historical books and now we're going to have five poetry books, wisdom mm-hmm. books. is mm-hmm. really a, a better way of putting it, the yeah. wisdom literature right. of ancient Israel. So the, the now the whole idea of the wisdom literature is obviously to pursue and seek wisdom. Mm-hmm. So they give us a way to to know God and to uh, take wisdom, which is a big question right is what is wisdom? Right. Yeah. Well, obviously it's it's different from knowledge in the sense that just a simple definition would be wisdom is knowledge that's applied properly. Mm-hmm. So knowing how to take the knowledge that you have and apply it. And really, wisdom is about living life well. Right. And, and and it's it has, you know, there's a secular aspect to it, I guess you could say. But really, all wisdom resides in God right. and comes from him. And that's what we're going to see in the wisdom literature, starting with Job, mm-hmm. which is such a monumental work, as I said, And it points us in the direction of where wisdom is found. Hmm. Proverbs is going to draw that out. Proverbs is more of the nuts and bolts, the very simple, straightforward stuff. Job and Ecclesiastes, which kind of surround Proverbs, are are going to get into more of the nitty-gritty of life. The yeah, when the rules don't work, kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel like it's like the bigger view of wisdom and and mm-hmm. yeah, the bigger picture of, of that whole uh, concept. But I th- I feel mm-hmm. like proverbs is kind of like how to. It's almost like the application, you know, or what it looks like. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Okay, so what, what we're in the Book of Job, starting the first the first part of it today, um, first half pretty much. What is Job all about?
1: You know, I, I there's pre- Satan in here. There's yeah. suffering. There's all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, so we all know, like, chapters 1 and 2, if you're raised in the church, right? Chapters 1 and 2, and then maybe chapters, like, 39 to 42. Right. But mostly we just know the, like, story of Job, right? Right. Job had a lot of bad things happen, and then God brought everything back to Job. Yeah. But it's the middle that really gets murky. Right. You know, and I I think if we don't understand the entire book of Job, then we're missing the point. The point is not just about a man who suffered and how God redeemed suffering. Mm -hmm. That is an important theme of the book. But I had a professor who described Job as the prologue to the Bible, Right. the, uh, you know, the, the word before the Bible starts. And there's, there's a lot of reasons to think that it can function that way. Um, it gives a message that it really comes before we can even properly approach God's word. Now, I'm not saying if you've read the rest of the Bible before, Job, it was a waste. I'm just saying <laughs> this gives us an understanding of what wisdom is all about. Where can we get wisdom? Where can we find wisdom? Where can we find truth to help us understand our lives and apply that in a way to live rightly? Right. How can we understand? Is it through um, studying history? Is Mm -hmm. it through studying science? Is it through studying ourselves? Yeah. Is it through looking inward? Is it through philosophy? Things like that. And the answer is all of those in the book of Job are incredibly limited. Right. But God's Word is not. So Job is all about pointing to the revelation that we need from God. Mm. yeah amen. so so this, this is a very there's a lot of technical issues with this book because it's very difficult for scholars to to translate. There's a lot of tough language in it. Is that because it's you know poetry? you know Yes, I, I think I think the better reason is because there's so much in it that seems archaic. Mm. So, different phrases, different words that they just don't know how to, uh, how to interpret. Mm. Now, the, the main message is very clear, but some of the nitty gritty is tough. So, some people say this book was written in the time of Solomon. That it, yeah. You know, obviously, it's in that wisdom era, um, but all the strange phrases in the archaic language have led some scholars to believe it was actually written closer to the time of the Pentateuch. Yeah, Moses, right? Yeah, yeah so around Moses' time. Yeah. Now, definitely the setting seems to be in the time of the patriarchs, so pre-Moses by right. a few hundred years. This seems to be around the time of, of Abraham. Hmm. So uh, uh, the, the, some of the reasons for that are Job, we see at the beginning, Job is offering sacrifices. I see. That would be very, very odd, um, and it would be very very sinful. Because it would be from the was, right? Yeah, yeah, if it was post-Moses. yeah, Because they had specific stipulations you offer at the on the altar at the tabernacle, nowhere else. Right. So it, it has to be earlier mm-hmm. than Moses, it would seem. And Job is not Jewish. Right. So we don't know where uh, this land of Uz is, mm-hmm. but we can be pretty sure it's not in the promised land because right. the promised land is laid out in, in detail in the, in the book of Joshua. So we don't see this here. It's, it's definitely not in the land of Canaan. So that makes us think it, it's, you know, and that I think is encouraging for us Gentiles. This is about a guy who was righteous before God, and who gains access to wisdom from God. And it reminds us that the scope of the Bible is not just the Jewish people. That's kind of all we've been focusing on since Genesis chapter 12 right. is the Jewish people. But Job reminds us that God's purpose is beyond that. So it seems like because he's not Jewish, everything after Abraham is focused on the Jews. So it seems to be around the time of Abraham or, or before. Yeah, makes sense. So that's, we can't be sh- certain about that. But that's why I, that's part of the reason why you know my professor said, this is probably the prologue to the Bible, in a sense. Yeah. and uh, So why would they put it in the middle of the Bible? Um, well, because it's about wisdom. Right. So They're it's so with, with, with the, the wisdom books. books. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, And, of course, we start with creation and all that. There's a logical right. flow of the historical books. Right.
0: So how does how's the book of Job outline if we're going to – like we usually space it out in different chapters and separate it that way to make it more uh, understandable?
1: Well, yeah. The, the way that I was thinking about it as I was reading, you know, I like to just kind of put things as simply as I can – so the outline of the book of Job is it's a bunch of logs. Yeah. It's a, so it's a prologue, a dialogue, a monologue, <laughs> well dialogues, monologue and then it's epilogue. So right. so that those are the logs that, that are the book of Job. So the prologue is chapters 1 and 2, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the this is sort of the story, the narrative story of of Job. And you can t- always tell, you know, narrative versus poetry in your Bible. Because of the white spaces, right? Remember, we talked yeah, about this, right? So the white spaces. So you know, you can see in my Bible here, the the space on the on the margins. So for the interpreter, now that's not necessarily like in the original text, but for the people who have interpreted it, they understand the mechanics of Hebrew poetry. So they leave the, the white space on the margin for us. That's so nice, right? <laughs> it's it's written in those stanzas. Chapters one and two are not. So this, so the prologue is chapters one and two. It's the story of Job. Right. The narrative that frames the book and then we from chapters 3 to 37 mm-hmm. we see the dialogues of Job's Job and his friends so it's back and forth yeah Elihu he's kind of a monologue but mm-hmm. i love him in there cuz he's one of the friends well he's an extra friend i guess bonus friend that no one wanted and then <laughs> chapter 38 to 42 verse 6 is a monologue from god right it's god speaking to job and then job has these humble responses and then at the very end, chapters 42, 7 to 17, is the epilogue. Yeah, it's back so in that narrative, that, that narrative and, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. framework that that ends the story. Mm-hmm. So a lot of logs. That's the easy way to understand it. You could build a cabin with all these logs. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of logs. You a like that? Of, I did not plan that beforehand <laughs> okay. at all. You know, that was just that's why I was so bad because I just it just hit me. Now it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. I didn't think about it before this
0: morning. Okay. Well, in
1: light of that, let's move away from that and get into the text. So let's get in the text, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, it is a good text. So the first words of the book clue us in that this is a historical narrative. That's mm-hmm. one of the questions we have: is is this historical? Right. We don't know, you know, if every part of the dialogue, that's exactly how it happened. Okay, I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to argue that. I guess we could, but I'm just saying this is a real story of a real man. Mm-hmm. So the, the words that, that open, right? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. is very similar to a few different places in scripture. Um, that are clearly narratives. Judges mm-hmm. 17, 1 Samuel 1, mm-hmm. that kind of language is familiar. So it clues us in this is a narrative. Now, who is Job? Who is this man? Right. Well, we see he is godly, verse one. He was blameless and upright. Kind of reminds me of of Noah. Right. Similar language used with Noah, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So he loves God and he lives for God. And because of that, he's he's blessed. Which is astounding if you're thinking of the time, like uh, the time setting
0: of when we think this was written. I mean, Moses or before. You know, like that's a there's a lot
1: of evil people around that time. Yeah. So yeah, crazy. Exactly. So yeah. we see he's godly. He's rich. He's got seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female. He's got they're listing all of his his wealth. He's the greatest of all the people in the east. Yeah, and he's got a big family. Right, <laughs> seven sons. Yeah, three daughters. Um, so these are numbers that indicate that he is blessed by mm-hmm. God, fully blessed by God. So, and not only that, but he's so righteous and he's so concerned about honoring God that you know his kids get together every day mm-hmm. or every week and they and they party, right? Um, yeah, I guess every every day of the week. And he offers sacrifices for his children, mm-hmm. so he acts as a priest for his household. Because he says, it may be, this is verse 5, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Mm. So he cares so much about his, his family, right. about honoring God, that he's offering sacrifices sort of almost like preemptively, right? like proactively offering sacrifices. <laughs> so Job, we see this Job is a, an amazing person. Mm-hmm. There's very few like him in the Bible, Right? this kind of righteousness. So then we have a change of scene. So the it yeah, just like stops the story all of a sudden. Yeah. So yeah. The, so you have this like you know the camera pans in on Job and it's kind of going <laughs> over his family and it goes to him and he's offering a sacrifice. should make so a movie out of this, right? Yeah. And then it pans up to the heavenly courtroom uh, yes. scene. Right. It pans up and God is there and the sons of God are with him, who we know are angelic beings, and Satan, Satan, the the enemy, the accuser, mm-hmm. comes with them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. God, you know, he God asks him where, where he's been. He says he's been walking to and fro, and then God says in verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? Dang it, God. Dang it. So God brings up Job. <laughs> so we see at the very beginning God's in control of this. Right. What's going to happen? God's not out of control. Obviously, God's sovereignty is a huge theme in the book of Job in terms of, like, why why is Job suffering? Right. So he brings him up and then... He says, you know, there's none like him. He's blameless and upright. He fears God, Mm -hmm. turns away from evil. And then Satan in verse 9 challenges God. It says, does Job, I almost said job. That reminds me of Mission Impossible. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Does Job fear God? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I want to keep keep the the cultural references really relevant. And and, 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 pretty obscure for today's culture. Yeah, early 90s, you know, uh, yeah, Mission Impossible. Go watch Mission
0: Impossible, Tom Cruise. Uh, maybe it's a recommended movie. Maybe I just, I gotta say this right yeah.
1: now. Okay, so I, one of my favorite films when I was a kid was Mission Impossible. Like I don't know when I was a preteen or whatever. Love Mission Impossible. And but they're, like the whole the whole plot of the movie hinges upon this Job three fourteen. <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so basically it's like Tom Cruise is sitting there at his computer trying to figure out what is Job three fourteen like. What, what is this? And then he looks up and sees a Bible and he's like. <gasps> The Bible, and so he opens Job three fourteen, and the verse means nothing. <laughs> it totally doesn't fit anything in the movie. And then he goes he on. This guy, right? He goes on like these like these like internet Bible boards, and is looking for a guy named Job, and happens to find him. And then that like cracks the. Ca- it makes no sense at all. It always bugged the heck out of me. But anyway, I just always think of when I read Job three fourteen. I always think of that. Um, <laughs> well, we we gotta be sure to read when we get to chapter three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so where were we? That was not important at all. Chapter one. And so so God Satan gives permission challenges. To yeah. Satan challenges Job, God, and God says, "Okay, I'm going to give you permission to attack Job, mm-hmm. to take all he has, but don't touch his life." Right. So we see that God's God's sovereignty even over Satan. Right. He's in control of this ancient serpent. Yeah. That'll come to into play later in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens? Well. You might know the story, but the, the the kids of Job were hanging out, and everything was nice and idyllic, and all of a sudden a messenger in chapter 1, verse 14 comes to Job and says, your, your oxen were doing their thing, and all of a sudden these you know foreign armies came and fell upon them, mm-hmm. fell upon them, yep. and took them and killed your servants, and I only I have escaped to tell you. Mm. And then the next servant comes. While that guy is still speaking, another servant runs up and says, I was. We were taking care of your sheep, and fire fell from heaven and just (laughs) eradicated the sheep. It's just like a massive barbecue, and and everyone died except for me. I I only have escaped, tell you right. And it's like, whoa, this is what are the odds? And then that guy, before he's done speaking, another servant comes up and says, the Chaldeans raided us and took all the camels and killed all the servants, and only I have escaped. And and uh, and then we see. So so the. The armies have fallen upon the the you know his possessions. The fire of God has fallen from heaven, same verb is used. Mm-hmm. And then we see the same verb used in reference to his children. So his children are in the house and a wind comes and it the entire house falls down. Yep. It's just falling, falling, falling. So it's you know, God's destruction is what it seems like, right? Satan, but s- Satan is coming and destroying these things. Right. And so it's, it looks like an act of God. Right. I mean, how could it look otherwise? Right. And again and again, we see he they fell, they fell, they fell. And then <clears throat> verse 20, it says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground. Oh, yeah. So th- that's really important because the, the it seems like, right, one fall after another, and now Job has fallen. Mm-hmm. And... As the reader, you should be thinking, oh, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to Job? Right. Is he going to turn from God, lose his faith? Hey, because it's all in the wager from Satan right now. That's yeah. Right. We're in that narrative. But okay. it says Job fell on the ground and worshiped. Which is crazy.
0: Like, Can you imagine anybody today with all that stuff happening that they would just immediately worship?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. it's like, yeah, God just barbecued my entire, you know, uh, Wealth it right. just completely cooked everything. I, I mean, when does a wind come and knock down all four corners of a house? Right. I mean, it never happens. Who is calling me? My goodness. I keep getting phone Pop, calls. Guy. I know yep. from spam. I'm popular with the spam. <laughs> so, and, so his response is absolutely incredible and it's unexpected, even hmm. in the text, right? And he, what he says is so incredible. Verse twenty-one of chapter one: "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return." The Lord gave. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hmm. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Yeah. So he understands who God is. He understands that he's in control, that God has the right to take away what he's given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was uh, a very young Christian, I
0: had someone tell me that um, yeah, God doesn't do that today. He doesn't give and take away today, or he doesn't have the right to give and take away today. So any gift that God no. gives you today, any blessing that he gives you, he has no right to take away because he's already
1: given it to you. Crazy,
0: yeah. it Doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so. Yeah. So God's not
1: sovereign anymore, or yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or he doesn't know better than we do right. what we need. I mean, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So chapter two, we have the same conversation happen again. It's like verbatim yep. between Satan and God, and this time Job says, "Well, yeah, you haven't touched his life. <laughs> Let me attack his body, and then he'll get upset." And mm. so that's what God allows him to do. Yep. And he's sitting there with boils all over his body. He's scraping himself with. With uh pot shards to nope. I guess relieve the pressure. I don't never really. Horrible. Yeah. Just awful. Yeah. And and he's got a great wife. Oh man, verse nine. Yeah. yeah. Curse God and die. What wait, why are you still fighting? <laughs> Curse God and die. And verse ten, just just I love it, right? You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? Yeah. And shall we not receive evil? God's in control. Are we gonna take what we want from God or are we gonna let God be who god is and mm-hmm. do what he wants to do and so that's that shows wisdom as well now then we see job's three friends arrive and they sit with him right and so they're going to have some dialogues but the, for the for seven days they just sit with him and are quiet seven days seven nights they're just quiet
0: oh yeah i mean we'll see too like as we go through this, like this starts a new section of the book like you talked about um but whenever i come to this part of the chapter the end of chapter two i'm like seven days Seven nights, his friend just sat with him, comforted him. That's it. Didn't say a word. This is the wisest moment of Job's
1: friends. Yeah, right here. That's it. It just goes downhill from here. All downhill. <laughs> yeah, it just gets worse and worse. And by the end, it's pretty crazy what they're saying to him. Oh, without um, doubt.
0: Like I couldn't imagine like saying that to someone. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like I'm sure we do it in our own ways, and like as we sin in the council and stuff. But this, it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so basically, what you're going to have in the dialogues now. So chapters three to thirty-seven is a new section. It's the bulk of the book. And it's these dialogues between Job and his friends. What you have is really wisdom put on display. So mm-hmm. you have his friends who are wise men. Right, but We'll make fun of them, and Job will too. But these are smart guys. Mm-hmm. These are guys who are great men of their day. And they're trying to approach this, this problem with, of, with Job's suffering from different angles, but they're not seeing it from God's perspective. Right. They're lacking crucial information. Mm-hmm. And Job is pointing out the insufficiency of their arguments, and uh, pointing to his desperate need, yeah, uh, which, we'll, which we'll look at. So chapter three is just he comes out and just says, "I hate my life and wish I'd never been born." Right. I mean, he's he's depressed. No, no surprise there. He is in a really dark place, and so luckily he's just got some great friends who are going to pep him up mm-hmm. uh, and help him out here with some with some great wisdom. <laughs> now, so, Eliphaz, mis- miserable comforters, I think they're called. <laughs> yeah. So, so with all of them, what you have is you have. The the basic argument is this theology of retribution. We've talked about that before. So, yeah, so all of his friends are basically saying here, you know, you've basically done if you've received be- evil from God or bad from God, then you must have done something bad. Right. That's their basic uh, understanding of theology. Now there's there's some truth in this. We've seen it in Deuteronomy 27:28, hey, if you break the covenant, you're going to be destroyed or in the book of Proverbs, we'll see that too. Do good things, you prosper, do bad things, you suffer. There's some truth to this, but it doesn't apply to every single situation. Right. There, there's there's much more, uh, dare I say, nuance in the world mm-hmm. than something as direct and simple as that. It's not, it's not a you know, uh, vending machine where right. you put in a coin, you get something out. Yeah, karma or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so it's it, so basically they're, they're not they're not just making the same argument over and over. They're making the same basic argument, which is you know, Job, you're bad. Don't be bad. But there's there's a lot more detail to it. So we'll look at it a little bit. I mean, we can't get into it in much depth, but we'll look a little bit at some of the, the nuance here. So right. so chapter four and five, this is Eliphaz's first speech. So Eliphaz the Temanite is his first friend. And what happens in these speeches is Eliphaz will speak, then Bildad and far, mm-hmm. and then and Joe will respond to each one, and then oh, it'll wait. be a second cycle and then a third cycle. We have to read three fourteen really quick. 3:14 Oh 3:14 yeah or Job 3:14 this, this is this is, is what it. cracked the whole case. Do you want to read it?
0: Oh yeah. Gen- or I mean uh, Job 3:14 with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt
1: ruins for themselves. There, that's it. Tom Cruise cracked the case. That's it. Mission impossible. Clearly that's the whole that's the whole key. Okay. Yeah.
0: Enough, enough side-tracking. T- so yeah, <laughs> so we're going to have
1: these different <laughs> speeches, three different um, series of speeches with responses mm-hmm. and uh, and then they end. So Chapter four and five. This is Eliphaz's first speech. So Eliphaz makes this argument in verse seven. That's really important. He says, "Who that was innocent ever perished?
0: Yeah, verse seven. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or were the upright cut off? Right. Yep. As I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So he's making sort of a basically a historical argument. Mm-hmm. Look, look in history. When has a, a a good person suffered or a bad person? You know, gotten good. I can name a couple. Yeah, it's like well, (laughs) Job's going to respond to that, but he's trying to appeal to history and say this is this is. And he also appeals to theology. Verses twelve through eighteen, he talks about this spirit that came to him. He had a vision; a spirit approached him, and the spirit said, "Can a mortal man be in the right before God? Mm. Can a man be pure before his makers? Maker. So he's pointing to uh, you can't you can't right before God. So God can always." punish you right that seems a little bit dissatisfying unsatisfying but chapter 5 we see the solution he gives which is verse 8 chapter 5 verse 8 as for me i would seek god and to god would i commit my cause so seek god turn to god you'll be okay right and job's gonna say be saying i'm doing that i'm right. seeking god and it's not it's not working um verse 17 to 19 eliphaz there's a lot of a lot of wisdom in these speeches even though they're fundamentally misguided mm-hmm. verses 17 18 are really good, right? Blessed is the one whom God reproves. Despise not a discipline of the almighty for he wounds but he binds up, he shatters but his hands heal. So he is giving some encouragement here.
0: Yeah, you're going to like I see this theme all throughout Job. Well, it's, a, it's like chapters obviously like 5, 9 in the end like you know we're always turning back to God for the for the answer in our lack of understanding, their lack of knowledge. Like there's big themes already being talked about here like Yeah. And uh you know like yeah, so we like, even the law has been given, and God has given his commands to his people, do this, or else this will happen, you know, so that seems like a straightforward thing, but the way life is worked out, and the way we even see the narrative of the redemptive history, it's like, even the most, um, you know, perfect of God's people still fall short, and... Yeah, yeah. It's just like yeah. There's certainly truth there. Yeah, but it's yeah. It's missing the the bigger point. Exactly. Yeah. So and yeah. I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. Man is you know finite and God is infinite. I
1: guess is the yeah. answer. But so that's Eliphaz's first first speech. Right. It's the historical argument. It's you know theological right had, or this sort of mysterious revelation that he received. Right. Chapter six and seven. Job responds, and Job. I mean, Job is just like we said he's he's desperate right now right verse 9 that it would please God to crush me mm-hmm. and he would let loose his hand and cut me off mm-hmm. he's he's so discouraged he doesn't even he just wants God to kill him right and he speaks about you know who God is and who his friends are right it says he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the almighty my brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed uh, speaking of a canyon in the Ancient Near East, right in Israel. There's like these canyons, and they're called wadis or nahals mm-hmm. in the Arabic and the in the Hebrew. But if a flash flood comes, you're and you're in that canyon, you're dead. Right. So that's that's what he's talking about. You know. So he's just owning them. That's right. that's you know he's gonna have a lot. <laughs> he's gonna own them a lot. But you guys, you guys are are worthless. Just in a second, you're turning against me. And then he's he's asking, what are you even accusing me of? Yeah. Right. What verse twenty five? What does reproof from you reprove? Right. <laughs> yeah. So great, you're reproving me. For what? Yeah, 24, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. Oh, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. You have, but you have nothing. You're just assuming something about me. And then in chapter, chapter 7, 17, he, he reverses the famous Psalm 8, right? What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you you know have a thought for him. Mm-hmm. You've made him a little lower than the angels. Well, here he makes that into a bad thing. Right? Mm-hmm. He says, verse 17, chapter 7, what is man that you make so much of him, that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning, and test him every moment? Why Why do you care so much about me, God, that you're going to destroy me? Yeah, That's what he's saying. Mm. Can you just leave me alone? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's in a bad spot here. And so Bildad is going to come and correct him. Bildad, the shoe height. That's <laughs> the, sh- the shortest man in the Bible? That's what well, we said. Uh, well, there's some debate about that. Yeah. But, yeah, oh. so we, we mentioned him. You know, <laughs> Cheesy, again, more cheesy jokes. <laughs> Chapter 8, Bildad speaks, and, he's, and he's, he, he basically makes an argument that's more scientific. So in verse 11, can papyrus, can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? I really don't know. I think the answer is no to both of those, but I, I'm not <laughs> an expert. While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. So his, his argument is here, one of cause and effect, right? It's, look, th- this is how things work in the natural world, world right. therefore cause and effect in your life as well. Yeah, yeah, you've, but you've, but you've received bad things, therefore you must have done bad things. Yeah, which is essentially the same message as his friend before. Right? Yeah. yeah, if a reed is growing, it must be in the marsh, right, or right. whatever. That, that's just how it works. So if you got evil coming out of your life, it must be because you're bad. Right. So it's a different, different angle on the same basic argument. I mean, right. you
0: hear kind of stuff in the New Testament, you know, a good tree or a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, similar so it, stuff.
1: It, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But it's just missing some crucial information that only God can reveal. Right. So, um, so that's his argument, and then in chapter nine, Job has a great response. Mm-hmm. Right. In verse two, he says, "Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be right? How can a man be in the right before God? Mm-hmm. He's quoting." what Eliphaz said right, exactly. in chapter four. He says, hmm, oh, so you're saying I should do this and then I'll get good, but Eliphaz just right. said the opposite. Yep, owns him again. So he's, he's turning them <laughs> against each other, yeah. Um, really really brilliant. And that's the thing is that human knowledge will often contradict with other sources of human knowledge. This happens all the time. I would say it always contradicts. Yeah, yeah there's always <laughs> some tension that doesn't make any sense, right? Oh, science says this. Well, what about history? What about philosophy? Right. What about, there's different ways of looking at things and they all they all come up short. Right. If you're without God. So and then and then Job is essentially, you know, verses 14 and 15, mm-hmm. he's asking, "How can I appeal my case to God?" Right. And this is going to be a growing tension in the book. That's very important to understand. He's he's saying, "How can I answer him choosing my words with him, though I'm in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal to, for mercy to my accuser."
0: It it blows my mind that he knows like he knows that he is righteous to some degree. He knows he's, like, not perfect, you know, the whole idea of, like, just imputed righteousness or, like, if he's perfect or not. But he knows he's, like, a faithful, godly man. Like, God knows that. He knows that. But
1: everyone from the outside doesn't yeah. know that, right? Yeah. So so he wants to plead his case. He wants to argue before God. And and this tension is brought out in chapter 9, verses 32 to 33. He says, for I'm not a man or sorry, for he is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There's no arbiter between us Mm -hmm. who might lay his hand on us both. Mm -hmm. So this is what he's longing for. He's saying, I need somebody who can argue my case for God because I can't approach him because I'm finite right? and I'm... Uh, he's, get, you know, what can I ever say to defend myself when he is so mighty? So I need someone who can stand between us, who can put a hand on us both, who can put a hand on the divine and on the human. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, incredible insight from Job. Right. He's realizing there's something that's lacking in the human experience because of how broken the world is, and that can only be resolved through someone who can stand between God and man. Mm. So, so more on that later, and then in in chapter ten. Um, verse 8 we see the same he goes back to the same idea right your hands have fashioned me and made me and now you've destroyed me altogether he's he's deep in in depression so Zophar speaks and Zophar I kind of see him as more of like the philosophical approach Interesting. he's, he's, he's more philosophical um, he's not the same as Eliphaz or, or Bildad but he's speaking to well first of all he says in verse 6 God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Hmm. It's kind of—I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me of Ezra chapter six, right. right? Where, or chapter nine, verse six, where Ezra prays this prayer of, you know, we've gotten we've gotten less punishment than we deserve, right? Um, so that it's kind of interesting. But he says, verse seven: Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of like the freshman. philosophy major, right? Like, well, how do we even know anything? How do we know we're not in the matrix? How do we... um, It's a good good question, but it's very dissatisfying. right? There has to be an answer here. How do I get to the answer? Mm -hmm. So he's pointing out a true thing, but not necessarily very helpful. So Job responds in in chapters 12 to 14. This is a really important section here. So first of all, he has to own them a few times. So chapter 12, verse 2, he says... No doubt, you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> this sarcasm is so great, right? Man, you guys are just so wise. Who's ever going to be able to to follow you guys? Um, and then in chapter thirteen, verse five, right? This is my favorite. Chapter thirteen, verse five. We should use this one a lot more. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. <laughs> like I said, first seven days, it's the wisest these guys have ever been. <laughs> oh, man, you guys, if you were just, if you just shut your mouth, everyone would think that you're way smarter. <laughs> yep. Uh, which is also said in Proverbs quite a few times, but.
0: Yeah, Proverbs uh, yeah, 17 or something. I love right. it,
1: right? He's, he's calling them out. But what he points to in these chapters is important, right? He says, he, he's pointing to increasingly that God is the source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Chapter 12, verse 13, with God our wisdom and might. Right. He has counsel and understanding. Mm-hmm. Verse 16, with him our strength and sound wisdom. God is the one who is wise, so we depend on him. So we're lacking something here. Mm. He's already acknowledging what his friends don't fully acknowledge. Right. You know, I guess so far kind of acknowledge that. Jo- then 13, verse 3, again he's speaking to, I want someone to... Speak to God on my behalf, yeah. right? I would speak to the Almighty. I would desire. He wants a court case with God. He wants to come before the court and and argue his case.
0: Yeah, I, I'm another own. I, I just have to bring up thirteen four. As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great, man. Thug Life Job Edition. <laughs> yeah. that's great. Great stuff. <laughs> and but but throughout this, Job keeps. You know, he he goes into depression. He comes uh, into like, incredible faith, though. Like, chapter 13, verse 15 is just one of the most amazing statements he has. He says, though he slay yeah, right. me, I will hope in him. Mm. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Even if God abandons me, I don't have any other hope than God. Right. That's all I have. Yeah, amen. So even if he kills me, where else am I going to look to? Job. I mean, Job, he gets it. Right. He does. He gets a lot, of, a lot of who God is.
0: Yeah, you see that. I mean, that has to be our posture in suffering. Like I know this isn't the main theme of the book, but that, that has to be. And you see it through all, yep. all the faithful men in the Bible have been like that, too. I mean, all, all faithful people in the Bible have been like that. You, you see it in Daniel. You see it in the apostles. This is the posture that we have to have. God, we know you can fix this, but we're asking our case, but we trust you.
1: Absolutely. So. Absolutely. That, I mean, that's the heart of, of wisdom. And then we see, we'll just kind of finish in chapter 14 here. Chapter 14, we see... He's speaking about, where, you know, where does hope lie? What mm-hmm. hope do I have? So in verse 7, he says, There's hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again.
0: Mm.
1: If, a, if a tree is destroyed, there's hope for new life. Mm-hmm. And he says, verse 10, But if a man dies and is laid low, man breathes his last, and where is he? Mm. Verse 12, If a man, a man lies down and rises not again, Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake. Verse 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? Mm-hmm. So he's he's seeing the problem here, which is there's something that's it's laid out in nature of this idea of new life springing out of death, and yet for humans, we don't see that. Right. There has to be some sort of resurrection, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And he'll get back to this in chapter 19. We'll see that next week, but... There, there has to be new life that can come out of death. Hmm. Otherwise, Job has no ultimate hope. Right, and that's so. That's where we're going to end today. That's what. That's the tension that's left at this point in the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Job wants an arbiter. He wants a mediator, and he also needs hope of the resurrection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I really, I even like the end of fourteen, where he's just declaring, you know, the sovereign, you know, uh, eternal aspects of God in His character. Right. Yeah. So. You will prevail forever against him, and he passes. Uh, you change his countenance and send him away. And it's just talking about the sheer power that God alone has to know all things and to be in control of all things. And, yeah, what a way to put us in a mindset to, to actually have a proper perspective on God and, yeah, crazy. Absolutely. So Absolutely. how does the how does the gospel connect to this? I mean, we're not going to go really far in depth with it, but, yeah, you
1: know. uh, Yeah, I bet a lot of you already have caught on right. when you figured this out. You're thinking... Okay, Job 9.33, if only there could be someone who could lay a hand on God and on man, if only somebody mm-hmm. could come between. Some mediator. Yeah. yeah. No. It would be ideal if he were actually God and mm-hmm. man. Right. That would be the best situation because then he would know how to resolve that goal, that, that massive gulf between God and man. Mm-hmm. He would know how to communicate uh, on God's behalf to man and on man's behalf to God. Right. He could be a priest, a mediator. Right. And, of course, I mean, just sets up so clearly for the work of Christ. Right. Who is all of that. Right. I mean, perfectly, he is the one who can lay a hand on on both, can be between God and man and can bring together and fix what is broken in our yeah. relationship. Yeah, and not only a mediator, but he also deals with life and death, right? Um, yeah. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And so that's the second thing that we see, this, this idea of the resurrection, that Job, at this point in the Bible, there's no, I mean, he doesn't have – probably any sort of written scripture yeah uh, if this really is the you know written time of Abraham this is the first thing being written he has some oral yeah. tradition but he doesn't they definitely don't understand resurrection at that point right that's not fully revealed really until the New Testament so this idea that that life could spring out of death that that death could be undone Mm-hmm that he's pointing to is so, so far beyond his time. Right. Like He's looking forward and saying, this has to be the way. There has to be life after mm. death. Yeah, Otherwise, none of this matters. And that's exactly what's true, right? I mean, Jesus Christ not only died on the cross to be that mediator between us and God, to pay the price for our sins, to cleanse us, right. but he came back to life to guarantee to us a, a resurrection life of our own, mm. that that death would be undone. And that we could stand before God in the flesh. Yeah. So yes, I mean this this sets up just perfectly for the work of Christ and for the gospel message that we focus on. Yeah, Amen.
0: I love how the wisdom, even in the wisdom literatures, you can start to see, you see the need for God to come as mediator and Savior to resurrect us, and you you even even down to simple application to our life. The wisdom literature is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to help us a lot to understand how we should live and you know, how we should look at God and know ourselves. So, that's right. Well, that's all we got for today, and we'll tackle the next half of the book of Job next week. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ.